Thank you so much for joining us today. I know whenever we get to this time of the year that people begin to think about Christmas, and that's great. Because you want to know something? The, the Bible has a wonderful story, a Christmas story. Matter of fact, uh, not too long ago, my family asked me, how can you preach another message on Christmas? And the truth is, through the years, I've spoken a lot of messages on Christmas, sometimes two or three different messages during the Christmas season. But the more I think about it, the, the more I enjoy the Christmas story. There was a time when I didn't even want to celebrate Christmas. I just thought it was so commercial. And God really convicted me about that because I saw the beauty of the story of Christmas. And so today, we want to look at the timelessness of the Christmas story. It is timeless. And it's wonderful to, to know that there's a story like this in the Bible. But when we call it a story, sometimes I think people get confused because, you see, it's not a fairy tale. A lot of times people have the Christmas story so intermingled with some of the fairy tales around Christmas time that, that the children maybe grow up thinking that it is a fairy tale. Or, or I don't want you to think it's just a, a story for children. Today, I certainly want to emphasize the fact that there's something that we can learn in the Christmas story for us as adults. Oh, don't get me wrong. Every child loves the Christmas story. It's a beautiful story. And God's made it so simple on one hand, just like salvation. And yet, while a child can receive salvation and enjoy a, a Christmas story, even as adults, every year we learn something more about our salvation, and I think we can enjoy it even more. But it's really an incredible story, a timeless story, the timelessness of Christmas. And what we want to do in our lesson today is we really want to look at seven different P's of the Christmas story that will help you keep track of it, because this thing is, is quite unique and quite wonderful, and it's God-inspired. And so I want to begin with the plan of Christmas you know, the thing that I like about the plan is this. It wasn't an afterthought. As we begin to look at this plan that God has, it's not an afterthought. And it wasn't an emergency. I don't know about you, but sometimes we have a plan for something. And we say, now, if an emergency occurs and we have an emergency plan, that means something went wrong. No, God was not caught by surprise by the sin of men. And so there was a planned event that God had. And we want to look at that in, in our lesson today. Among those things is a special verse all the way back at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. And here's what I want to emphasize. This is more than 6,000 years old because here's what it says. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice the time frame. Before the foundations of the earth. So before he ever made the earth, before man ever sinned, God had a plan, and that plan was to redeem mankind when they sinned. There's another part of this plan, and it's discussed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now we're talking about 4,000 years, so we just jumped 2,000 years in those slides. But the Bible says this. This is after Adam and Eve had sinned. And God says, I will put enmity between thee, that's the serpent, he's talking to the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Notice this idea, her seed. Already it's taking man out. Already he's exposing the idea it's going to be a, a virgin birth. And so it was the seed of a woman versus the seed of man, to emphasize the virgin birth. It was the seed of the woman versus the serpent. And the Bible says that, that mankind, through the seed of a woman, would crush the head of Satan. And let me tell you, that was, certainly took place on Calvary. Or here's another aspect of it, Galatians chapter 4. And so now we're talking about the birth of Christ. So we just spent more than 6,000 years 
because we've gone before the creation of the world, we've gone now to the birth of Christ. And, but it says this, but when the fullness of the time was come. Notice there's a time. There was a particular time. It wasn't arbitrary. God had this, this plan all along. And so when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Look at this. Made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So God's plan had a specific purpose and a specific vessel made of a woman. Why? Well, to be made under the law. But here's the point, to redeem them that are under the law. And then we're going to become the adopted sons of God. It's an incredible plan, and it's a wonderful one. And so the first P of Christmas is the plan of God. Listen, I, I want you to realize this year particularly, God's plan. Can you imagine God thinking this up, however long ago you want to make it, but more than 6,000 years ago, and waiting patiently for that day to occur in Bethlehem. That's why I rejoice in the plan that God has. And then next, there's some prophecy of Christmas. I, I know some of you say, uh, you, you're always working prophecy, and you're right. Almost every story I read in the Bible, there's some prophecy in it. And this particular one is, is really a, a wonderful one. It's all the way back in the book of Micah, chapter 4, verse 8. Now, some of you have seen the story that we've done on the Megdali Dar. And so, if not, I hope you'll go and look it up online because it'll give a lot of details. It's going to have a, about an hour of information on Megdali Dar. We're going to take about a minute or two. But all the way back in Micah chapter 4, verse 8, it says, And thou, O tower of the flock, so that's the word Megdali Dar. And thou, O Megdali Dar, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And so again, what we see, that it was virgin born. It was, the promise was made to the woman. And so the prophecy of it, he predicts that there would be something very special that would come with this tower of the flock. Then a few chapters, or one chapter later, Micah chapter 5. And this is the one that normally is associated with the Christmas story. And it's a wonderful one. Because in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, it speaks about the person he's going to talk about would actually be struck on the cheek. And Jesus was, John 18, verse 22. But then verse 2 goes on to give some very special things. Now, this whole prophecy, as we're going to see, had its beginning sometime earlier. Give us a moment for that. But in the meantime, notice this. The place it says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is Bethlehem Ephrath. It was so important and so well known that remember when the wise men came, the kings came from the east, everyone, all the scribes, all the, the priests knew the place where God promised a Messiah. And it was Bethlehem Ephrath. It also indicates this, that the product would be a ruler, and it men, indicates this, the marker would be the tower of the flock, the Megdali Dar. And so these are important things in terms of the prophecy. Listen, God left a trail so that we could look and enjoy all of this. Now, let's examine this phrase a little bit, the Megdali Dar, because it's only mentioned two times in Scripture. And one of those is in Genesis chapter 35. Now, why that's important is because, you see, now we're back to about 3,000 years B.C. Yeah, we're, we're, we've gone back quite a, a time frame. And here, God lays the foundation because that's where he mentions the Megdali Dar. Remember, I said two times. One was in Micah. 500 years before Christ was born, the prophet Micah gives a location. 
But we find the tracings of it all the way back in Genesis chapter 35. It's wonderful because you see, prophecy means to tell beforehand. And there, here's what we find. Two things that are really important. One is this. He indicates that the stronghold, the Megdalidar, the stronghold, would be for strength and for the dominion. It would be to the daughters of Zion. And next, he says it will take place in terms of a birth, like a woman in travail. And so we can trace that back. You see, God's plan to have Bethlehem as a birthplace and God's plan to have a virgin-born ruler is not an afterthought. He was planned. Prophecy predicts what God has foretold earlier. And, and as we look at the prophecy of this, I, it's incredible. He, he began sowing the seed back in Genesis. Even in Genesis 35, he repeats it from Genesis 3. The prophet Micah, he's repeating these things. You see, prophecy is interwoven through the whole story of Jesus Christ, including his birth. Now, how important is prophecy, not just to the Christmas story, but in general to the life of Jesus and the workings of Jesus? Well, very important. Matter of fact, in Matthew, remember we have the Christmas story in the first three or four chapters. In those first four chapters of Matthew, here are seven particular things concerning Jesus how that his name would be Emmanuel, how he'd be in Bethlehem, how he would escape to Egypt, and, and so on. Just those seven, what are the odds of those occurring by accident? Well, it's one in 10 to 27 zeros. Now, let me tell you this. Anytime you get odds like that, it means something that's going to occur is going to be highly unlikely. That's just seven prophecies. I mean, that's how incredible they are. But I've listed the New Testament fulfillment. I've listed the Old Testament prophecy, and there are seven. I mean, this is incredible, all found in the Christmas story in Matthew. But remember, the prophecies concerning Jesus don't stop at his birth. We want to take just a, a side note because here's what's incredible. At the crucifixion, in one day alone at the crucifixion, 33 distinct prophecies were fulfilled by Christ. And so the odds are 1, and now we have 10 to the 44 zeros. Let me tell you, what that says is what occurred on the cross was not an accident. When Jesus fulfilled 33 distinct prophecies, such as his beard to be plucked, his back to be beaten, crowned, mocked, spit on, all these things, even nailed to a cross, 33 resulted in 1 times 10 to the 44th. I mean, that, that just says... No one could look at that with a fair mind and say that was an accident. That was an incredible plan of God. His birth was planned. His crucifixion was planned. And by the way, now if we go to the lifetime of Jesus, 109 prophecies were fulfilled at his first coming. What are the odds? One, and look at this, look at this screen of zeros. Well, that's 10 to the 139th power. We're approaching the number of atoms in the universe when we look at this number. I mean, this is a huge number. Let me tell you this, the Christmas story, the crucifixion story, the life of Jesus all show the plan of God and how well thought it out. This is not an accident. This is a distinct particular plan of God. So we've seen the plan. We've seen that it's, it's etched in prophecies and next the place. Oh, wow. I, I just enjoy this because you see the place. God chose a small town. Now, what's interesting is because if you just say Bethlehem, well, it really doesn't tell the whole story because there's at least two Bethlehems. As a matter of fact, some people say that there were four Bethlehems because the name Bethlehem meant house of bread. 
And so there were a lot of places named Bethlehem. But what is interesting is that when we go to the prophecies, there's only one that's marked by Ephrath. And so we know exactly which one of the three or four Bethlehems, depending on your count, and we know that's a suburb really of Jerusalem. We also know that it had to be decorated by the Tower of the Flock, the Megdalidar, because again, the Bible puts both of those into the Christmas story. See how incredible God made this Christmas story? I told you, yeah, it's a wonderful story for children. They can enjoy some of the details of it, but as we grow older in the Lord, I really hope this year you say, wow, I, I want to study the Christmas story because I want to see how unique, how timeless the Christmas story is. Folks, it's a timeless thing. I even think in eternity, we're going to enjoy something of the Christmas story because that's how wonderful it is that God became man so that he could become our redeemer. And so if we continue this idea of, of the, the place, well, in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it gives some details, and it says that the baby came while they were in Bethlehem. Now let's think about that. Think about the timing of God. So that when Mary was pregnant, and remember both Mary and Joseph had to go to, the, to their forefather's house, and they were both of the house of David, as we're going to see a little later. And so the baby came not while they were living in Nazareth where the parents lived, not even in Capernaum where he performed his miracles. You see, the, the Bible is quite clear that, that Jesus actually moved from Nazareth, where he was born, and he did most of his public ministry, where the disciples lived, in Capernaum. And it wasn't even in Jerusalem where he would teach and he would be crucified, but the Bible clearly states that he would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and the Magdalidar. You see, God's place in announcing that place, it was just wonderful. And there's some special reasons for it. And again, I want to refer back to the, the story that we did on Christmas is Unique and the, and the Megdalidar and, and the, the cave. But we want to mention just a little bit of this because the Megdalidar, the Tower of the Flock, remember the tower, well, it was a multi-story uh, structure. And these stones that it's made of, remember, they were dug out from the cave below there. And so the shepherd would live in the tower. And he would have a great perspective. He could look and see if there was a, a, a robber coming, a bandit coming, or a, a wild animal coming to, to devour the sheep. But the sheep themselves, they would live down here in the cave that was constructed as you take out each block to make the tower or a house or a hotel, whatever you're building. You simply dig out the stones, build them on top. Now you have your structure, but underneath you'd have a place for the animals to be. And of course, the shepherd, well, he would put his sheep there. But the shepherds, Remember, that's who the story was announced to. And the shepherds in Bethlehem were, were quite unique. They were unique for this reason. They were called Levitical shepherds. In other words, Jerusalem, which required so many Levitical lambs, there's no way that a city as big as Jerusalem could produce as many lambs as would be needed for the Passover. And so Bethlehem, be it a, a few miles away, let's say five miles away from Jerusalem in those days, about three miles, two or three miles today as, as both Bethlehem and Jerusalem have grown. Well, they would go to the hillside of Bethlehem and that's where they would have the Passover lambs that they could groom and, and have them born. Bethlehem was always a place for shepherds. Remember David. David was a shepherd and he was from Bethlehem. And so in these Levitical uh, shepherds, they were grooming lambs, particularly for the Passover. And the thing that was so important about this is that they would put these sheep, when they were born, the lambs, they would 
put them into the cave below there. But the shepherds would take the newborn lambs and they would wrap them up. Matter of fact, when they wrapped them up, they, were, they would be wrapped up in what's called swaddling clothes. And that's why it was such a, a shock to these shepherds when the angels came and said, go, and you're going to find a baby, and the baby's going to be in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Because you see, they were used to seeing a lamb. But I want to remind you that really Jesus was the lamb. John says, John the baptizer says in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so this was because they were destined to be temple sacrifice, and that would be just three to six miles away. Many lambs needed for Jerusalem. They couldn't provide enough, so they would go to Bethlehem, where they would groom and, and have these little lambs born and wrapped up. But the lambs must be without blemish or spot, so the shepherds would wrap them in swaddling clothes to protect them. Two times swaddling clothes were used. One, to wrap up Passover lambs, and one is to wrap up people that died. And so when they looked there, they couldn't believe it because the shepherds saying, wow, this mother is here in a cave. I think it was a cave, not a, a fantastic church. If you go to Israel, you might see a, a fantastic church and there's so much holy hardware there, gold lanterns and silver lanterns sitting by all the kings. And But you know what? You'll be disappointed of that. But if you go downstairs, you'll see a cave. And remember in those caves, well, there would be sharp edges. There'd be, there'd be rough spots. And these little lambs, as the whole uh, flock of sheep would get in there, they would push the little lambs against the, the sharp stones. And so they had to be wrapped in swaddling clothes to make sure that they didn't get a nick on their leg or a nick on their ear. And so that's why it was so unique. The shepherd said, what mother would put a newborn baby and put it in sheep's clothes? Well, he was the Lamb of God. And what mother, they were thinking, would, would put a, a baby in clothes that you used to wrap dead people? Well, he was born to die. And so again, we see the, the plan and the pattern and the prophecy and the place, all of them lined up by God, perfect sense with what God had in mind. Well, by now you know that I really like Christmas. And I like Christmas because I think it's so important to the whole plan of God, His plan of redemption. And as we've been going through the seven Ps of Christmas, I hope that you really rejoice with me about several things. One, the plan. Wow, a great plan of God. And then the prophecies. Matter of fact, I think you might find this really interesting because just since taping, take a look at this picture and you'll even find some more information on our website about it. But what's interesting is there's an article that talks about how many atoms actually exist in the universe. And why this to me is so interesting is because according to this article, Here's what it says, that there's 10 to the 80th power. Now, now that's in the known universe. So, so let's just take the known universe. I mean, it's light years big. And somewhere out in this universe, we pick one atom. What are the chances of us randomly finding that atom? Here's what they would say. It would be 1 times 10 to the 80th power. But remember what we talked about last time? We talked about last time that the odds of Christ's coming being born how the Bible said he would be born, die how the Bible said he would die, all the things, 109 prophecies fulfilled, that's 10 to the 149th power. Do you see that we have a better chance of finding one single atom somewhere out in the, the known universe? The odds of that are better, way, way better, than Jesus coming and fulfilling all the prophecies by accident. That's why I think that Christmas is so important. 
You see, in our story on Christmas, the timelessness of Christmas, do you understand that Herod, the scribes and the priests, they were three miles away. They missed Christmas. They missed the real Christmas. They missed Jesus by three miles. And think about the innkeeper. The innkeeper probably talked to Joseph and Mary face to face. They might have been a, a foot apart. They could have had Jesus born in that hotel, but instead he went to a stable. He went to the manger. He went to a cave where, where he was born. They missed Christmas. That innkeeper missed Christmas by one foot. And you know, I don't know how far you're going to miss Christmas by, but I know this, the wise men, they found Christmas, didn't they? They found Jesus. Simeon, he found Jesus and said, Behold the salvation of the Lord. He held Jesus. He saw the real Christmas. My friend, what about you? Have you ever received Christ as your Savior? God offers to you the gift, the unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ. This Christmas, I hope you'll take advantage of the fact that He's available. How is He available? If you receive Him by faith. You see, you have to receive Him that He came exactly as God said. He was born exactly as God said. He went to the cross exactly as God said. He rose again, and His shed blood is the payment for your sin. Admit that you're a sinner. You're short of God's standard. Confess that He is the perfect Lamb of God. And then the last thing, receive Him as your personal Savior. I hope you do it today. If you do, you'll really be able to celebrate the real Christmas. The real Christmas is Jesus Christ. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.